So, um, thank you guys for being here tonight. Uh, is there anybody that did not get a handout? I'll start with that. Because, uh, okay. Uh, Jamie, do you have those by chance? The handouts. Can you get those? I think they're on the connections counter. If Mark didn't get those to you. Um, and tonight, we're gonna, I'm going to start on this study. I'm not sure I'm going to get through all the first lesson tonight. I'll get as far as we can. I'm not going to rush it. Um, uh, I heard, I've got good feedback on the QA, by the way. Um, so we'll do that again. Um, I enjoy doing QA. I prefer QA, honestly. Uh, it's really a good time for me. But, uh, but we've, we had this on our docket. <clears throat> and this is the first time that I've, I've actually covered this. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, this is not going to blow you away, um, I don't think, with like new, deep, you know, it's not the book of Revelation. We're not going to figure out how many warts are on the Antichrist's nose or anything like that. However, the reason I think this is important, uh, as I was preparing this, I've, I realized I wish I'd have done this 20 years ago. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in our prayer time, I think that, um, that we would probably uh, find a lot of this familiar, but I don't think we probably take the time to meditate on some of these things. And I think it's important today, uh, as we talk about, you know, and I'll define what body life is, but I'm, it's really a study of the local New Testament church uh, and how and where we fit in. And this is a, a season, and this might be a good time to invite people, by the way, to Wednesday night. Someone who's not church, somebody wants to know more about what is church all about um, and how do I get engaged in it? Because today, the, uh, what, what people need is, is what we ought. You know, they really need what the church has to offer. But they don't, but even us in the church sometimes don't really grasp, you know, what is that and how does that work? So uh, this series is designed to help us, you know, grasp hold of, of that. And so uh, as we go through the study, the, the order of our study is going to cover um, the uh, provisions and protection. And that's lesson one. We're getting into that tonight. It may take me a few weeks to get through it. Then we'll talk about the function, finding our place in the local church, the relation, uh, your relationship with God and others, which sounds a lot like our discipleship lessons, identification, uh, who God says you are, uh, mission and vision, what God calls us to do, and then the last is interaction, touching the lives of others with the Word of God. So that's going to be you know, the order of our study, and uh, tonight we'll jump into uh, provision and protection. So what we're going to cover tonight in, in this lesson is, you know, what is, oh, I don't know if I'll get through all these, but there's going to be, I believe, eight things here. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Uh, I think I didn't, yeah, there's eight. Uh, what is the church? Uh, who is in charge of the church? What is the purpose of the church? Why is it important for me to be joined to the local New Testament church? What is the role of the pastor in the church? How important is each individual member uh, and will I face obstacles in attending church? And what is the body of Christ? So those are what we're going to cover tonight. So I typically don't uh, teach off of questions, uh, but um, let me back up. Okay, you can barely see the church. That's our church body there. So uh, I don't teach off of questions, but tonight, I, or this with this series, I am. So first question that we're going to ask, I'm posing, is what is the church? Uh, I'll go ahead and, and leave that up. So the church is... a. Um, Church is our lifeline and our covering. Uh, before a, a child is born, uh, and most of us would say, well, yeah, I, I get that. Um, but what sustains a child at birth? Before birth, I should say. What? 
Did you mouth? I heard a mouth. The mother, but specifically the umbilical cord, right? There's a, it's a lifeline, right? So every when you think about when you think about um, new life, right? We think about new life in Christ. Yeah, that's one thing. But when you think about new life in a human, there's actually a lifeline. It's called the umbilical cord, right? All the nutrients, the blood. Everything starts to develop through that, or gets uh, you know put back and forth through the, the ch- back and forth goes through the, the the umbilical cord. You can tell I'm an expert on these things. The oxygen, the nutrients. I just need to read my notes. All that supplies um, this lifeline, and the church serves as a covering and a protective environment where the child of God is nurtured so that they can grow and develop into the image of Christ. In that sense, the church is our lifeline. Uh, a lot of people really don't understand how important the local church is. And I, and I emphasize local church, and we'll talk about that as we go. It really is like a lifeline. Uh, if you're born again, and there are people that get born again all the time outside, right, at the four walls of the local church, uh, typically, not always, but typically that's affiliated or associated with someone from a local church. But if they don't get in a local church, they don't have that lifeline. They don't get the nutrients they need. They don't get the oxygen they need. They don't, get the, they don't get what they need. It's supernatural what God provides through the local New Testament church. And I, I'm not going to say I'm an expert on this, but I spent a lot of time, I spent 10 years of my life, you know, working around the complexities of ministering in environments that were not connected directly to the local church, but yet were, quote, Christian. Um, if you know me, I'm not against parachurch organizations. Actually, when it comes to evangelism, God can use parachurches in some ways that are very effective, right? So I'm not against uh, those. One of the ones uh, that I spent a lot of time in personally was City Union Mission down in Kansas City. Um, not a lot of local churches at 10th and Truce are opening up their doors every day to feed homeless people and preach the gospel. So uh, guess what? That, that, that mission is, is effectively doing uh, what it can do, and it's staffed by a lot of good saints. You know what makes it effective? It's not the mission, it's the people that staff it. What makes it effective are a lot of good local churches uh, that send people, that who's, there are a lot of the employees, associates. I know one of the nurses right there uh, on staff right now used to be a member of our church and is connected to one of our sister churches, right? And so uh, my experience in working with that, uh, you know, in that environment was how do we get life in this place? Because uh, I would see guys get saved, you know, go through a, a, a pseudo-discipleship process, they would visit churches because they had to. They would go meet with counselors because they had to. They would go through Bible studies because they had to. And Pat was down. He's seen all that same stuff. And, uh, but you know what? What would happen? Well, as soon as they graduated, we had a celebration. We rang the bell, right? I'd say nine out of ten times. I don't know. I, didn't do the, I don't think I did the math on it. But most of the time, those individuals would be right back at square one within some sort of time frame, uh, or back in jail, whichever. Because why? Well, they would come back, and, and I would talk to these guys, and they'd say, well, this is my problem. And they, you, know, you could list the sin issues all the way down your arm out the door. And it didn't take me too, much, too long to realize, you know what, the problem really isn't their sin issues. The problem is they're not in a local church. They've never been connected to a local church. So I started to endeavor to try to get the local get these guys connected to the local church with the help of the mission and they were very gracious in that. 
Um, and because a lot of the staff there understand the same thing, that it really is a local church ministry that's going to make the difference, if there's going to be a difference made, right? It's not just automatic, but it is the key. It's the lifeline. So the church serves uh, not only as a lifeline, right, in the sense of a baby Christian desperately needs to be in a local church, or they may not, they're not going to lose their salvation, but they're not going to grow effectively, uh, just living out there on their own in the world. They've got to be connected to the local church. But also it serves to cover us, you know, uh, those of us that are saved. It's protection. It's like a house. And it's easy to understand as we consider shelter, right? We find in our homes, um, <clears throat> our homes are, are places we take, uh, we take nourishment there. You know, in your home, a lot of things happen under the roof of your house. If I don't, is, I don't think anybody in here is you know, homeless tonight, living out under the stars. So I think all of us probably here have a home somewhere, and, and we go there, and within those walls and under that roof, uh, you know, we probably have an oven, and a, I just got a microwave. My microwave died. You know, you, you take for granted what a microwave does for you, and um, and so you got you got places to prepare food, and you know, cl- hopefully clean water. You know, I filter mine because it's not clean enough for my liking. But anyway, uh, you got food, you got water, and 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 uh, that's also a place we uh, we bathe. Hopefully, right? So. We take our showers or our baths or whatever. We keep ourselves clean, um, uh, and and uh, it, we store our stuff there. We bring stuff there to, to store it. We secure a lot of things there. You know that's where we that's where we secure most of our stuff is at our homes. Um, and then um, the most important thing, though, uh, about a home is is really, especially if 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 you if you have a family is the people, right? All the most important relationships happen in a home. You know, they, they're at the home. I mean, my, this is, the church is important to my family, and my home is super important, right? Like, if there's not enough food in the refrigerator, we hear about it, right? You know, my, my kids still, you know, are looking for food. They expect us to provide food in the refrigerator. Can you imagine that? Uh, why? Because it's home. Home is where you go for those relationships and to get the nutrients you need and get everything that you need, right? Because home is where it's at. Uh, and so the church is like a home. It's like a shelter, though. It's, it's particularly a covering. So when it storms, hopefully you're you're undercover um, and you're not getting drenched. There's not a hole in your roof, hopefully. And uh, and so it's a place of protection. You know, you, I don't know about you, but uh, I lock my doors at night. You just can't come in my home in the middle of the night. Shouldn't you? Might be in trouble, right? So, so you know, there's it's just not open. You know, not just don't crawl through every window, right? There's gate. There's points of entry. There's control as well. You know, there's a front door in my house. There's a back door. There's a garage door. So we have controlled entry. We don't just have everybody coming in and out at will, willy nilly. Um, you're welcome and wanted, but. You know, there's certain times of the hours, and there's certain, you know, in American culture, it's not like Latin culture. There's, uh, you know, there's certain <laughs> certain times you come over, and certain, you know, places you enter, et cetera, et cetera. So there's there's structure, even to how you come in and out of the home. And so the church is certainly a shelter in the time of storm. But sadly, many people only see the church as a shelter in a time of storm, right? 
And so I just described a lot more than a shelter. You ever been caught out in a storm? You know, anything will work, right? A piece of, you know, a trash bag will work, you know, uh, a lean-to will work, uh, you know, a portico out in front of the building will work if you're, if you're in a storm and you just need to get out of a storm. Well, yeah, then that's kind of all you need. You just need something to cover your head. But if you're actually going to function and grow, you need something much more than that, right? You need, you need, you need all those other things that, that I've described. We, we do more than just get out of a storm. But for many people, that's, yeah, and I would, I'd hazard to guess um, a lot of people, the only time they enter the doors of a church other than a wedding is a funeral. And most of those are done at the funeral home. So, so they don't even do that. Maybe something comes along in their life and it's a huge crisis and they finally go, oh man, I need to go to church. Why? Because they intuitively know they need to get out of the storm. They need a place to cover. Even lost people know that. They may not say that verbally, but that's what the church does is it, it provides a cover. And it covers people from the storm. And so, uh, unfortunately, many people only see the, the church as a shelter in the storm. The local New Testament church serves as a covering that provides more than shelter. It rests on a solid foundation and provides the atmosphere and the environment <clears throat> for a life to be nurtured. That's really what I was talking about earlier, right? When you have a baby, you bring them home. Mama may not bring that baby out of the home for a few days. Or a few weeks, right? Where's, she, where's that baby at? Well, not at the store. The baby is at home, right? Whether you've got two nickels to rub together, if it's not in a bassinet, it's in a drawer full of socks being taken care of. Some of the old people remember. I know actually people that actually used to use drawers and, you know, as uh, bassinets when their babies were little. But it was still at home, and it was in a safe place that could be provided. Uh, and uh, And so... Sadly, too many people only see the church as an organization, not the living organism God has created her to be. She not only is the excellent lifeline for new life, but she's also the greenhouse for supernatural growth. That's what the church is. That's what I pray from day one. I pray that Heartland would be that, be a greenhouse for supernatural growth. What does that mean? In a greenhouse, you've got to have the right amount of moisture, the right amount of sunlight, the right amount of soil, right? All that has to be mixed together with the seed to produce life, right? And it's, it's an environment where, where life can, can grow quickly. It can, be, it can grow uh, in rich soil and then, of course, go out and then be planted in the world, which is ultimately what we want to do uh, with the mission of God. Okay, so point B, uh, we're making good time. I like this. Um, the, word, the, the word church simply, and you guys probably knew this, it means called out assembly, it's found 77 times in the New Testament. The word church is, is uh, found, uh, churches, plural, is found 36 times in the New Testament. And, of course, it's not in the Old Testament. And the word assembly is used only three times in Acts 19. All of them are in Acts 19, verse 32, 39, and 41. We're not going to look at that tonight, but just for reference, if you need that reference, Acts 19 is where you'll find three men- mentions of the word assembly. So when we co- say, uh, you'll hear the definition called out assembly. It's really ecclesia, if you're going to get all fancy in the Greek. Um, and so we would, uh, we would come and find that word translated assembly in Acts 19, 32, 39, and 41. All right, so a little bit about what is the church. So who's in charge of it? Who do you, who's in charge, class? 
Jesus, got right, right answer. We'll make sure we get the right answer. <laughs> Who's in charge of the church? Well, Jesus is, in, is the head of the church. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians. Now, we're gonna, I don't have the verses on the screen, so we're going to have to actually flip in our Bibles. And uh, Pat, would you read uh, Ephesians, um, Ephesians 1, 22 through 23? Yeah, Ron. Yeah, he's, he's got it. It's uh, 22 and 23. Uh-huh. Uh, it says, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Amen. What a great place to pick up. That's where we were talking last week. When we, yeah, all in all. I was actually trying to find that verse, I was scrambling, and I missed it. Um, Ephesians one twenty two. Uh, and he hath put and and God has done this, the Father, and hath put all things under his feet. Now the, the hymn here is Jesus Christ uh, to be the head over all things to the church. Notice where it goes to the church, which is the body, which is I'm sorry, which is his body. We'll come back around to that. Uh, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That's rich. I mean, the church is is directly connected. To Jesus, who filleth all in all, and and he's he's saying here that that if you read the text there, uh, not only is he the head over all things, but they're to the church. So when you get married, guess what? My stuff, I'm married. Amy's my wife. Uh, so the things that that I have are hers. The things that she has are mine, right? So um, Ephesians chapter four. Let's look over there. Let's just flip over. Uh, could I get someone else to read Ephesians four, fifteen through sixteen? Ephesians four, fifteen and sixteen. Grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Amen. Well, we'll circle back around on these verses later, but for this point, I want to just focus on verse 15 where it says, uh, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head. So who's in charge? Well, Jesus is. He is the head. It's mentioned in Ephesians 1.22. It's mentioned in Ephesians 4.15. Uh, if you don't know who the head is, Paul says, even Christ, right? He is the head. Uh, so I'm not the head. It, it, you'll often hear people say, and I know what they mean, Brian, it's your church. It's not my church anymore than it's your church. This church is Jesus' church, right? We all just have a role in the, in his church, right? Uh, and so he's the head. And so, uh, and of course, that foot goes to follow then. We are the body, right? We are the body of Christ, in the same passage that we just read, that Sharon just read, it says in verse 16, from whom, right, uh, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working, in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. So he mentions the whole body, the body, and, um, and he also says that we need to grow up into him in all things. And so, 
you cannot disconnect our body from his body. Uh, that's why the picture, Paul has a mystery in Ephesians 5, I speak a mystery. Christ, and he's taught, saying a marriage is a, it's in essence a picture of Christ and the church. Uh, there's a lot of uh, parallels there. And uh, the point of a marriage, uh, the biology of a marriage, you know, before the last 10 years, uh, was that a man and woman come together and they produce fruit. Right? Not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman. Not a trans and a trans, right? It's it's a man and a woman. And biologically, they produce fruit as they come together. Um, and so we're one body with Christ. And every member is important. I got a whole section on that, so I won't get into that. So the point is right now, though, Jesus is the head of the church, and we're the body. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. I was going to read all this, but I'm not going to for time's sake. So flip back to 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, we'll get back to this. In, in a little more detail later. So I want to just touch on it. two places here in 1 Corinthians 12. In verse uh, 12, um, somebody want to read verse 12? This is, again, these will be familiar to many of us. Verse 12 says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. Thank you, Jesse. So that's pretty straightforward, man. We're one body, right? And uh, we're not just any old body. We are the body of Christ. Now, uh, Jesse, if you could pick up verse, uh, verse 27. Verse 27 says, mm -hmm. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Right, so it's not like someday we're the body of Christ. When are we the body of Christ? Now, right? So this isn't like, oh, someday we're the body of Christ. No, now we're the body of Christ. So right now he's the head of the body. This is, this is happening. We're, we're doing it. It's happening right now. All right, so, um, so the church, it's, it's a body, but it's also the church is likened to a building. Uh, flip back to First Peter Chapter two and verse five, and I'm not. A, I'm, I could go on and on. I'm not. This is really. I'm just kind of introducing some things here. So I didn't. I'm not deep diving on any of this really. Uh, I'm just trying to get our thoughts around where we're going here. First Peter chapter five and verse, uh, or chapter two. I'm sorry, in verse five. Uh, anybody want to read that? Who's got the mic? All right. I'm going to call on people for not careful. I got it. All right. <laughs> um, 2 verse 5 says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up in a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Mm. So now, of course, this is Peter, and we know he's coming from a Jewish background, but... He doesn't say a temple here. He just says, uh, uh, your lively stones uh, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So he's, you know, he's inferring that it's a, a temple. Um, but uh, he says it's a house. It's like a building. It's a structure. And the stones are us. We're living stones. Um, and so 
And so this is an interesting thing. Now, back in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, we, we saw verse 22. Um, go back to the Ephesians, and let's, let's take this. Paul uh, deals with the same type of verbiage when he's talking about the church uh, being likened to a building. Uh, look at chapter 2. I'll go ahead and read since we're getting scarce here. Uh, Ephesians 2.18 says, um, For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and then look what he says, you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Um, and so in whom the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. So Paul does call it a temple. In whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. So God is inhabiting this temple. Now when we think about that, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So how, pray tell, do you think that he is inhabiting the temple, right? Well, he's, right now he's doing it through us. It's, it's now are we the body, not someday, now are we the body of Christ. He's inhabiting us. We are his temple. Now, when does the temple, when do the lively stones come together? Eh, typically on the first day of the week, right? So there is something going on when we come together, when we gather Wednesday night, uh, Sunday morning, you know, we assemble together, the assembly, the called out assembly, uh, God's there. And, and notice that there's, there's, again, he's using these construction terms. Um, you know, we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, right? It all base, starts with him. And I don't even have Matthew, I'll get to Matthew 16, 18 in a minute, but you know, he, he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he goes on to say, again, we're dealing with stones, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple. So when you, when you fitly frame something together, you know, we do this here. Uh, we use wood, not stones. But even when you're using blocks, right, typically you, you have a cornerstones, a footing, a foundation, and then they'll have pillars, right? They'll use rebars if you, or they would put up some sort of structure so you could put headers in and block your walls in. I bet that's how they did it down in Guatemala, probably. So they put, you guys ever seen that kind of construction? That's the rest of the world does it that way, where you, you have your footing and your foundation, and then they start putting up concrete piers. Uh, and then they build their headers or their next level, level across that with rebar, and, and, and then they move along and just keep going up. Um, and so then on, then the bricks come, or the blocks, or whatever kind of construction it's going to be, and that fills in from there. And that's what we're doing. We're filling in all those gaps. As people get saved, we're, 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 we're fitly framed, and we're growing together. Now, this, this building's organic, but uh, it's going somewhere, um, and it's going to be uh, an habitation of God through the Spirit. Not only is it going to be, but it is now, which is my point, right? Now, it says in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Now are ye the body of Christ and members in particular. We're not waiting for the rapture for this to happen, though there's a more glorious day coming for sure. It's happening now. And I'm emphasizing that because I, and I'm kind of slow rolling this a little bit because 
I really think we need to think about what that really means. What does that mean, right? To know that Jesus Christ, literally, not figuratively, is here. Like, he's in us. This is his word. We got power when we come together in his name. When we pray, he's hearing. And we influence the culture. The church for the last 20 years, I've been, I've been saved for 30-some years, for the last 20 years or so at least, the church does not act like we have any power. We have compromised so much to fit in in so many cases. Uh, and I'm not saying we should be a peculiar people, not by the way we dress and all of that, but, but the, our lifestyle, right? Uh, there are pastors in pulpits in Baptist churches. I don't have to pick on anybody else. In Baptist churches, you cannot even identify their doctrine is any different from some political jargon that you're going to hear in the world. I got I had a meeting with a fellow just a few months ago. He rolls in with his this cute little sermon series the pastor's doing up in Lee Summit, uh, all on deconstruction, literally using the same verbiage, which I'm not against it if that's what you want to do, but I mean, just literally using the same verbiage uh, as is popular in today's political discourse. And I'm just like... What, what happened to just preaching the Bible, man? Deconstruct your faith. Typically, that has a very bad connotation, by the way. Uh, I think the guy was just trying to be cute and, and reconstruct the faith, and he was just playing on it, which is fine. I'm not mad about it or anything. It's just silly, though. It's just like, come on, man. Come on, man. And there's a guy that says that. But you just need to preach the Bible. Preach the Bible. And use the Bible terms, and don't take any prisoners, and just just let it lay it out there. And uh, anyway, it just kind of makes me sick. I think it makes Jesus sick. All right, so First Corinthians three. Let's move to the next verse. First Corinthians chapter three and verse nine. Uh, let's see what it says here. First Corinthians three nine and verse uh, or chapter three verse nine says, "For we are laborers together with God." Wait a minute. I thought I thought he was building the building, or it was growing together. Well, it is, but he says that we're laborers together with who? Yeah, with God. I thought I lost my PowerPoint for a second. Uh, we're laborers together with God. So he's using us to do, the, the, do this construction work. Ye are God's husbandry. So that's farming, right? That's, that's like a vine dresser. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation... And another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build on that foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Okay, discipleship one, and this is a completely proper. We are talking about building... Uh, we look at that at an individual basis, don't we? What we build on the foundation of Christ. Because when you get saved, who's the foundation of your faith? Jesus, right? And we build upon that, right? Doctrine. We like to go back to Isaiah. Precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, etc., etc. All right, so uh, we get that. Now, I just want you to step back from D1 for a second and, and just kind of look at it in the context of what we're talking about with the church, because everything I just said is absolutely true. You individually will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and you will be tried by fire, 
right? And that fire will try every man's work or what sort it is. And in our individualistic culture, right, our Laodicean culture, rights of the people, we often just see it from that lens. That's all we see, right? It's like we're standing in front of the mirror and we're looking at ourselves. But when you look at the text and you, and you think a little deeper, now he, he says we are laborers together with God, plural. Ye, all of you, are God's husbandry. All of you are God's building according to the grace of God which uh, is given unto me as a wise master builder. I've laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Okay, wait a minute. Context. Paul isn't just talking about his own life, is he? What's Paul talking about building? The church. In the context of the passage, he's not just talking about, well, I'm going to be judged for the things in my body, whether it be good or bad, although that's true. He's saying the work that I've joined God in here, this, this, um, this labor together with God, is building the church. So I've laid the foundation, and then there's other men like Apollos or like uh, Aquila or Priscilla. They, they have come in and they have laid bricks on top of that, right? They're, they're working together with God to build his church, right? So there's, there, this, there's something going on here. Uh, he says, like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the master builder. I'm the superintendent of this thing. I'm the foreman. I've got the plans. So when I say to lay a row of bricks over here, you need to lay a row of bricks over here. I need you to move the bricks from here to here, move the bricks from here to there. You know, when I tell you to mix some concrete and put it there, mix some concrete. He's a master builder, but everybody's involved in building because why? Well, Christ lives in us. We've already established that. He's the head and he's in us. Now are you the body of Christ? And we're members in particular. Not only are we the, the, the stones that are fitly joined, not only, not, only, not only are we the building material, we're also the builders. Isn't that crazy? We're, we're the whole thing. So not only do you have a spot, but you also have a role in the building, just like your body, right, has cells. Not only does these cells hold us together, but they're also actively working to, to edify the rest of the body, to continue to keep your body functional. And when they quit doing that, we get rid of them. They die, right, or cancer. We try to get rid of it. All right. So now if any man build upon this foundation, what foundation? The foundation of Christ. Not just your foundation, but the foundation that's been established. Let's just step back for a minute and think about, you know, when we started Heartland, we started with what we called a church plant team. We started New Life, started with what was called a seed plant the seed plant grew into a church plant, right? And it was a team of people. Now, certainly, each and every individual is dealing with their own relationship with Christ and building upon the foundation of Christ. But ultimately, we intentionally sent a team of people from this church to plant a church, right? To reproduce in another location what God's doing here. The foundation is Christ. And there are people that are building on that foundation, Take heed what you put on it, right? Take heed what you put on it because we're, we want gold, silver, and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. You see, what we're doing here in the church, some of this stuff is going to last for eternity and some of it's going to be torched and not going to have any value. I'm not just talking about the building, although that's part of it. 
But you can paint these walls for Jesus or you can paint these walls for some other reason. The walls are still going to get painted. It's not really about the paint on the walls. It's the opportunity to build, to build people. And when you come together and you serve the Lord, right, it's, it's how you interact with people. It's the whole issue is what are we investing in people? If you're up here in the praise team, what are you doing? Are you making disciples? Uh, when, uh, James Horton took that over a few years ago. He's like, man, I'm, you know, man, I'm not, I don't know if I got what it takes. I said, hey, James, that may be the best thing is just, just let people come around you and make disciples. What if God wanted that? To not, obviously, we want to bring it. We want to praise the Lord. But what if God wants you to make disciples in everything you do? Like, like, like you're mowing the lawn. What if God wants you to somehow make disciples doing that? That can happen, right? If that's the focus, then you know what? God will do it. And, and the, some of the most mundane things you're, you're, you think you're doing for the Lord is building the body of Christ. Why? Because you're inviting people along and you're investing in people. And that's ultimately what it's all about is getting the gospel where it needs to go in everything that we do. And some of those people might be saved. And so you're investing the word of God in them. You're saying, come follow me and check this out. And then God will use it. You guys picking up what I'm putting down? Gold, silver, precious stones. Or, man, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look at my talents. Look at my gifts. Look at how organized I am or whatever. Nothing wrong with any of those things, talents, gifts, and organization. But at the end of the day, why? How? What? When? What? What? You know, we, we want to do things with excellence, but sometimes God uses our lack. Sometimes he, he uses the weak things to confound the wise. And he allows lack so, so God can, can grow the body and build the church. Have you ever been on a construction site? It's ugly, especially when the framing process is going on. I mean, you got things sticking out here that shouldn't be sticking out. You've got, you got stuff that you got, you just got stuff everywhere. You got to go through and clean up at the end of the day, right? You'll be stepping all over stuff, right? Why? Because when you're in the framing process, it, not everything's looking good. But by the time that all gets trimmed up and finished up and nailed down, and next thing you know, man, it's all coming together. It gets tightened up. Once you start putting the skin on stuff, it gets shirred up. You get, the, man, it's amazing what God will do uh, over time. But sometimes that that process isn't very pretty. All right, I got to keep moving. So point D, Jesus is the founder and the builder of the church as well. I told you I'd get there. Matthew sixteen eighteen. Many of you know this verse. Um, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, we often forget about, uh, let's go back and look at that passage together. Matthew 16, the, we, we don't always, you know, first of all, a lot of Baptists are scared of this because Rome has perverted it. So first, that's, that's silly. We don't need to be scared of anything. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power loving a sound mind. But when you, when you go back to the context, in verse 13, number of rebellion, he says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, I the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter uh, <clears throat> answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, 
but my, my Father which is in heaven. I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, Baptists get scared here because um, Peter uh, is mentioned as being the one that is the rock, small rock, by the way. He's a chip off the block. Uh, and then in verse 19 it says, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, which is certainly the case, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever uh, thou shalt lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that, that, that this is saying that Peter is the first pope, which is complete make-believe. They, they just, there's nothing in the history or the Bible that would indicate that. Peter was the, first, was the apostle to the circumcised, to the nation of Israel. They inherit the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he's specifically talking here about the kingdom of heaven, but he's also talking about building his church. Uh, Peter it was the head of the church in what city? Jerusalem. He was the chief apostle in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And the gospel was offered to the nation of Israel. It's not that complex. God was trying to get the gospel to Israel. He'll finish it up in the coming tribulation. And, and uh, in the meantime, the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom, has gone forth You know, uh, since Israel's rejected their Messiah in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The church was in full effect as the apostle Paul was given the mysteries of the church and, uh, and that's what we're operating on today until the catching away of the church. All right, so, so no re- any reason to be scared here. But when you come to this passage, be, be very careful to look at this in verse six, 16, where he says, um, or verse 17, or 18, I'm sorry, I say unto to thee, thou art Simon Peter, and upon this rock, who's going to build the church? I, Jesus, I will build Whose church? My, yeah, my church. So that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Jesus is the, he's in charge. He's the head. It's his church. He's the possessor of it. He's the builder of it. But we've also seen that we've entered into this in the Pauline epistles now because of the indwelling Holy Ghost in us. We're all part of the building team. We're all part of the process of building the church. Uh, and so, um, so it's important that we understand this. So Jesus is the founder He's the builder. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, um, you know, we've already taught, touched on this, so I'm just going to quote it. For we are laborers together with God, right? We're doing this with God. You, you are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. So we're both the laborers and the building, it says in, sec- in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. Now, again, I don't think I'm going to blow you away with any new information that you've, you've not heard before. But I just want to kind of slow roll it a little bit and think about it a little deeper. Think about what that really means uh, to us because we have an important role in building the church. And as the weeks go on, I'm going to build on this. I'm going to get a little bit more specific, a little deeper. And, uh, and uh, we're going to keep talking about this. But we have an important role in building the church. In Ephesians 4.11, uh, this is the passage that I meditated on uh, before you know, arriving at our mission statement back in, oh gosh, 2001. Um, sometime back in the, I remember the day I fasted, I prayed, I took off work all day long and just asked the Lord, God, what, you know, just give me clarity on, you know, this, what, I knew the mission, I just struggled because, by the way, 
you submit a plan to the mission board or the pastor team, right, to go plant a church, you know, you got to have a mission statement, and it's got to be profound, right? So I'm just like, oh, God, you know. And, man, I couldn't get away from Ephesians chapter 4. So that's when I came up with the, the I'll get to it in a minute. I don't, I'm going to ahead of myself. Let me just read the passage. Let's let the word speak. Um, if anyone want to read, by the way, Ephesians 4, 11? Jamie D? All right, we got a, we got a reader. If you could go through 16, that would be good. Okay. Okay, Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith, of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Amen. Thank you. So we have an important role in, the, in, the, in the building the church. So he starts off saying he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers with a purpose, right? And that was to perfect the saints, perfecting of saints. Uh, but also for the work of ministry. There's work in service, right? So there's work to be done for the building, right? The edifying of the body of Christ. How long are we gonna, did he give these gifts? Um, well, he gave them until Christ comes, until we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. But not just until the rapture, but also until it's, you know, there's two ways of looking at that. Until the whistle blows and time runs out, or, and or, of course, uh, we get the gospel everywhere it needs to go on time which is ideally be our heart, right? Till everybody has a knowledge of the Son of God. Um, and so um, we're not just waiting it out, right? We should be actively engaging in that. Uh, that should be our heart. Uh, and, of course, uh, come bringing them into a perfect man, into the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ. So that implies, then, more than being a an infant, Right? What do we, what do we, what am I, what is my job? My job is to grow people up, like full-on Christ-like people. It's not to fill a room with people. It's not to say, man, look how many people come to our church. Oh, that would be wonderful. That is part of it because we want to see all men saved. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But what what we really want to do, if you're a pastor uh, or a teacher uh, or an evangelist, or you know, in the in the first century, if you were a um, uh, prophet or an apostle, which you know we don't have those now because we got the whole word of God, um, and Jesus, men, those men that were the apostles died, but the rest of those we still have. So, so what was our job? Our job is to see people not just saved and tied to an umbilical cord, but to grow 
and in the measure of the fullness of the full stature of Christ through the through the ministry of the body of Christ. And I'm I'm still getting to the church part. All right, so that's the job that that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. There's a maturation that's expected and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. See, every joint. Everybody has a role in this, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Now notice that that little phrase there, the effectual working in the measure of every part. We all need to be growing together for this to work out. That's what puts us at jeopardy as a church body. When the church is not growing together. Uh, if your bones don't, if one leg doesn't grow and the other one does, you're going to be like, you're going to be all messed up. It's going to be hard to function. You're going to be like hobbling around trying to walk. Why? Because it's not all, your growth will get stunt, stunted and things will get off balance, right? So everything, everybody needs to grow up. I'll, you'll hear me allude to that all the time. I even mentioned it, I think just a couple of weeks, maybe last week. Um, well, Steve preached last week, the week before, right? About some people just aren't emotional. I made a point that some people are not emotionally mature. Why did I make that point? Because it's true. And you're not going to get emotionally mature by listening to the internet and all the junk out in the world. You're only going to get there by applying the Word of God in your life. God not only helps your, your, your spiritual life, He'll help your emotional life. He'll help it all. Right? And you've got to grow up because you can get all the right doctrine and still not be able to... to, to to be effectually helping your neighbor in the body of Christ. You're not growing anywhere. You're not going forward. And so these are important principles that we just kind of glance over sometimes. We quote them real fast. We don't really take a lot of time to think about, what does that really mean? You know, fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. That means every part is growing to the fullness of, of the stature of Christ. Everyone in the body is growing up together. There's always going to be new birth, right? And so that, that means that other body parts are helping those people, you know, grow up. It doesn't take a village. It takes a church, right, to grow people up. And that's why God has ordained the church. That's why I'm talking about this concept of body life. Because in our world today, it's not just education, Education alone will not give you edification. Some of us in our church have seen that, where we've had all the knowledge, but knowledge what? Puffeth up. Charity is what edifies. That's what builds up. Uh, there's nothing. Knowledge is important. Nothing wrong with knowledge, but it can't just be knowledge alone. There has to be a, a charity that goes with it that grows the body, the body together. It's got to be. A, it's got to be. Uh, it's got to be together. And so. Um, <clears throat> It, it does. We edify ourselves in love. So uh, we all have a role in building the body of Christ. Now, edify simply means, by the way, to build. All right, so let's move to... I'm only on point three. Wow, I thought it'd be further than this. So what is the purpose of the church? What's the purpose of the church? Well, I'm glad you're asking. You just ask Rick Warren, right? The purpose-driven church. Now, we'll just go to the Bible. So our mission... I told you I'd get here. So as I'm thinking about this passage in Ephesians 4, this is what I came up with. 
I wouldn't say came up with. This is what God gave me. Uh, this is like in 2001. Uh, some of you weren't alive. In, I bet you guys weren't alive. Were you were alive in 2001? He wasn't? Almost. So you guys were somewhere. Somewhere, you know, anyway. You weren't alive, Tom. So anyway, so uh, that makes me feel really old. So uh, anyway, um, so I'm sitting there in my office at home, and I'm praying. And this is what God gave me, uh, the purpose of Heartland. Our mission statement at Heartland is um, Heartland Baptist Fellowship exists. I bet some of you know this. Some of you don't. Everyone should know this. We exist to equip the saints of God in the Word of God, accomplish the mission of God, in the power of God, according uh, for the glory of God by the grace of God. I had to read it myself, but I know it by heart. So we exist to equip the saints of God. This is really simple if you think about it. I get it right out of Ephesians 4. I'm an evangelist at heart. I love evangelizing, but at the end of the day, I'm a pastor. So we equip the saints of God. That's what Ephesians is all about. Growing up in the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. That's what we do. We equip the saints of God. How do we do that? We do it with the Word of God. And why do we do that? Well, to accomplish the mission of God. We don't need a new mission. We've already got a mission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, and so that's what we do. Matthew chapter 28. That is the mission. Our mission is to accomplish the mission. So we equip the saints of God, the people who are born again, in the Word of God, what about the lost people? Well, if we do the mission of God, we're going to do we're going to reach lost people, right? So, well, you know, we're just going to do that because we want to. No, it doesn't work like that. Um, we're going to have to have the power of God, which is the Spirit of the Living God, and we got to do it for the glory of God. And all of this can only get done by the grace of God. I attacked on the grace of God some years later as I was. I'd rattle that off, and at the end, I would just go, man, <laughs> by the grace of God. And so I finally just I added it. Because ultimately, we need the grace of God. Tracy Sloan used to tease me. There's a lot of, of God there. And I'm like, amen. It's all about God, because we can't do much. Faithful, as a matter of fact, the little tagline I used to put on my, my, when I first started the church, I'd send out little prayer letters. I had a prayer team back at KCBT and a few other people that were praying for us, you know, so I'd send out these prayer letters. And everything, I, I ended all my letters with, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it, right? The, the, the task of accomplishing God's mission is so enormous. You can't do it, right? God is going to do it through you. That's why he puts the Spirit in you. And that's why you put a body that he puts the... We don't do it. He puts the body together. But there are some structural things you need to do, and I'm going to talk about those. That's actually why... I told you, I, I felt like I should have done this 20 years ago. And in many ways, I've already done what I'm going to be teaching, but I just haven't formulated it in a real structured way like I'm going to do in the next several weeks. Um, and and I, I realized that, that, man, this is, this is something that is important to really understand, um, especially if you're a pastor. Uh, but even as, if you're not a pastor, because it's your identity in the body of Christ and your commitment to being a disciple and understanding why it's so important to be a disciple. I don't know that we always, I'm always up here bound, you know, beating the drum, you need to follow Jesus, you need to be a disciple. But I think if you think about it in a context, it's not just about you. When you're not who you're supposed to be, guess what? The rest of us aren't who we're supposed to be. It affects everybody. Now we go through that drill every time. We just did the Lord's Supper last week. Every time we have a Lord's Supper, we're actually, we're thinking about those things. 
right? It's, 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 it's not just about us. It's about how we connect with the body. That's why you're judged for the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. It's not just about what you're going through. It's about what you're going through affecting everybody else in the body, whether it be good or bad. What impact are you having on the body? Now, baby Christians, right over their head. They don't get that. But if you've been saved for any length of time and you have any understanding of what you're doing on this planet as a Christian, you'll get it. You'll be oh, wow, what I do affects everybody else. Yes. Oh, little old me. Yeah, little old you. And so we've got to own it. That's why we talk about owning the mission. Come to the men's conference Friday night. And we've got 50-some people signed up now. So praise God. I'm excited. Thank you. If you haven't signed up, you need to get there. Friday night, Saturday. All right, so... Uh, I'm getting off track here. Oh, I love talking about the mission. So um, so that's our mission statement. So that leads one to ask, what is God's mission? And what's the purpose of the church? Which is the point number three. What is the purpose of the church? Well, I don't know. Call Rick Warren. No, I'm just kidding. So I'm glad, I'm glad you asked that question. Because before Jesus ascended, he summarized the mission of, of, of the disciples and thereby the church, which were actually the apostles at that time. And you guys know the verse, Matthew chapter 28, uh, 18 through 20. But let's just look at it afresh. Uh, if you don't know this verse, I shouldn't just assume everybody knows it. Um, there was a time in my life I didn't know it. We call this verse the Great Commission. It's the last chapter in the book of Matthew, the first epistle. Now you can find this at least in seven other locations. Um, a variation of it. I got him listed in my margin here. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through twenty is my first one. Mark sixteen, which we're going to touch on, fifteen through eighteen. Uh, Luke twenty-four forty-six through forty-nine. This isn't in our notes. John chapter twenty twenty-one through twenty-three. Uh, Acts one eight through nine. Of course, you're probably familiar with that. Colossians one nineteen through twenty-nine, and First Peter two nine through twelve. In the Old Testament, you can actually find it in two verses at least, Isaiah 49.6 and 42.6. And you can also find it in type in many places in the Old Testament. Anyway, so for what it's worth, a little bit of marginal note action there that wasn't in my notes. All right, so um, so uh, go ye, verse 19, uh, go ye there. Let's start in 18. And Jesus, so we talked about the mission, right? Um, equipping the saints of God in the Word of God, to accomplish the mission of God in the power of God, for the glory of God, by the grace of God. All right, so he says in verse 18, Jesus speaking, uh, his 11 disciples are gathered, verse 16, Judas is, is you know, he's dead, and, um, and they worshiped him, and, and then except for Thomas was doubting, and Jesus came and, and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. So let's start there, all the power is in his hands. But just like we're reading about this body thing, he's, he's including us in it. And he turns around immediately and includes his disciples. So I've got all power. It's given to me. He deserves all power, all glory, all honor. Go ye, therefore, because he's got the power, you go. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, not some things, all things, Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. All nations, all things. Why? Because we have all power. We have all power, all nations, all things. All right, so our mission 
is to equip the saints of God in the Word of God to accomplish the mission. This is the mission. So the purpose of the church is, is to disciple uh, all nations. And I've already given you that. Let me back up. So the word teach here in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, and many of you know this, is translated from the Greek word um, mathetao, I think is how it is. It's math, uh, uh, E, and T-E-U-O. So long E, long O. And it, it just simply means, uh, even if I don't know how to pronounce it, it means disciple. So there you go. Uh, and that, that is also implied by the word teaching, right? It's used in Matthew 28, 20. In the Greek word um, here for teaching is teaching <laughs> in verse 20. So you, it literally means teaching. So there's no secret word there for discipleship. But that's that's a good thing because what is discipleship? It is discipline. It is teaching. So whenever you... If you're an engineer, right, you're a structural engineer, what is your discipline? Structural engineering. It's what I've been taught in engineering. What's your discipline? Well, it's mechanical engineering. This is my discipline. This is what I have been taught. I am disciplined in this. I've been discipled in this, is what it's saying. Go ye therefore and teach, disciple all nations, teaching, disciple them, right? Teach them to observe all things. Teach them to, you know what, you want to discipline them in the word of God. They need to learn these things. They need to be experts in the Word of God, in everything that I've said. And remember that I'm with you always, even till the end of the world. So in John chapter 17 and verse 4, um, you know, Jesus said, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. When we teach the philosophy of discipleship, we make it very clear that in John chapter 17, um, has Jesus gone to the cross? Let's look at that just real quick. I think I don't want to bore you with stuff you know, but maybe you haven't seen this before. John chapter 17. Right, he hasn't gone to the cross yet, has he? So why is he saying this? Uh, let's just look at the text. He says, These words spake Jesus, John 17, 1. Uh, These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son may also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should uh, give eternal life as, to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And then he says this, I have glorified, past tense, thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. But wait a minute, I thought he was going to go to the cross. Jesus came to save sinners, of whom I am chief, Paul said. I thought he came to die. That's what the Bible says. So how could he have finished the work? That's right, make disciples. And now, O Father, glorify... And that's the rest of his prayer. Oh, And now, O Father, glorify thou me in, with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Right? Because he's been... Uh, Philippians tells us he's made a little lower than the angels. Uh, for the suffering of death. He's like, I'm going to go back to where I was. I'm going to ascend. I can't wait, right? Verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Isn't that amazing? You, you know, it's like reading the Old Testament. People who think don't read the Old Testament don't. One of the places I know there's grace is reading the Old Testament. I mean, I read the Old Testament. And I'm like, then I read Hebrews 10, or Hebrews 11. 
I'm like, what I read back there in the Old Testament doesn't quite match what I see in Hebrews 11, <laughs> right? I mean, these guys are full of faith, but it really wasn't quite as clean when you read the detailed account. Well, guess what? Either is the disciples. Like, you've read the, you got the detailed account, but when Jesus is praying, look at what he says about his disciples. I have manifest thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept my word. Except when they doubted, except when he sank, except when they questioned, <laughs> right? Except when he doubted. What? Yeah. I'm telling you, God's full of grace. He's, even when he's praying. <laughs> he's so wonderful. Now, now, they have known that, that all thing, now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. What? I thought he wanted to reach the world. He did. But I pray for not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. You know what he's praying right here? He's saying, you don't, Thomas? You want to know? What? <laughs> You're shaking no. So I'm just, you know what he's saying is I'm working through these guys. This is my mode of operation. I'm going to die for the sins of the world, but I guess who I'm going to use to, to get the message out? Who are the newsboys? Are they a Christian rock band? No. Well, yeah. But they're us, right? The good newsboys are us, and gals are us. They're the disciples, the people who he puts his spirit into, the, the people who follow him. And so those are the people he's counting on to get all this power out. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Why? Because that's the way he's ordained it. He's the one building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I mean, he is giving us a purpose, and it's a big purpose. He doesn't say go to some of the nations. He says all nations. Why? Because you got all power, and what are you supposed to teach him? Well, just your favorite pet doctrines. No, teach him the whole counsel of God, Paul said. Right? Genesis to Revelation, how to rightly divide the word of God. What's going on in dispensations? Why? So you can understand and get your head around what, the, what God is doing in time so people are prepared for eternity. I mean, if you're stepping into the church, you should be stepping into an environment where people take the Bible seriously, for goodness sake. This is a Bible-believing local New Testament church. If you want to find a church where the Bible's not a seriously a serious book, well, you can find a million of them. But you know what? What's harder and harder to find are people who actually believe the Bible and believe that this book changes us from the inside out, starting at salvation, but also through edification. That is why we're here. And God gifts the body. This church is rich, man, rich with teachers and preachers. And you know what? We're all getting older. And if the Lord tarries, I need to know who's going to fill the gaps. Because there's a lot of people absent without leave. And they need to be plugged into this local New Testament church if they're in this area or someone like us in this area and grow up in the grace and knowledge of God so they can accomplish the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God because this thing is meant to be handed off to the next generation. Every time. Every time. And of course, that's why we're working with the kids in other generations. But there's a gap. There's a gap. Okay, so. So obviously, the work Jesus had finished 
was preparing the disciples, right? He says as much in chapter 17 and verse 6 when he says he manifests his name to these men and gave them all the things the Father asked him to give them, right? He, he gave them every... What, was, what did God want them to have? What he said, right? You can't give the disciples everything because Jesus is the creator of the universe. So he just pared it down to what he said, and that's what they need to know. Uh, when we get to eternity in our glorified bodies, we can hang out and just go on for eternity with everything God knows. But for now, what are we stewarding? The things that he said to us, Old Testament and now New Testament, right? Pictured in the Old Testament when Baruch, right? He writes, the, he writes uh, out of the mouth of Jeremiah, writes the word of God down, presents it to the, the king. The king scoffs at it, burns it, right? So God says, oh, that's fine. He writes it all out again, and then he adds some more, right? Picture the New Testament. Then he takes the original, tosses it in the middle of Euphrates. So there's your original document. You don't have it. So then, but we still have the book of Jeremiah because God preserves his word. That's just a little commercial for the preserved word. But anyway, so God, God gives us his words, and that's what we're stewarding. So God uh, goes on to mention he doesn't pray for the world. Jesus doesn't pray for the world. He prays for them. And this is because he's going to send them to preach the gospel to every creature after his resurrection. Okay, you guys know that. So the Apostle Paul made discipleship, as you guys know, the primary objective of his ministry. 2 Timothy 2.2, right? You guys could quote it. And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Right? So it's a stewardship issue of the things that we've been given. And aren't we blessed to have a whole Bible in our language? And if you speak English, which a large percentage of the world does, you have, a, you have the things. It's not always been this way throughout history. Still not this way in, some, in many, you know, in 7,000 languages. Um, and so, so you know, it's, it's a blessing to have the words of God in your own language that you can understand, especially to have the certainty of the words of God preserved for you perfectly in this language. Wow, we are, we are a blessed people. I don't think we really realize how how important this book is. Well, Brian, I thought you were talking about the church. I am. I am. You remember where I preached a few weeks ago, right? Who was stewarding the word? The Philistines got to the point where they were the ones taking care of the word. There's a reason why the church needs to be involved in publishing the word of God. Not just because it's a cool missions deal. It's because, you know what? God has given us the words. We should be stewarding them in every way, right? We should verbally be stewarding and preaching the word. We should be printing the word. We should publish the word both with our speech through the inspired preaching of the word of God, but also uh, reproducing, publishing the preserved word of God. Hallelujah, we have the preserved word of God. All right, so that's point A. The purpose of the church is to disciple all nations. Um, but point B uh, it's to preach the gospel. I can't leave that off. Preach the gospel. We cannot make disciples if we don't preach the gospel. You know, um, I was thinking about this as I was putting this together. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, it's fun to make babies and it's harder to raise them. It's true. I think, I think though, in the church today, I think we've lost sight of the fact of how fun it is to make babies. And we're like, oh man, it's not about it's not about evangelism, it's about discipleship. Well, it is about discipleship. But good discipleship is good evangelism. 
And if we're really communion with God, we ought to be busy about getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. And, uh, and I tell you what, beloved, I think that the church is, 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 in some respects, is just really, there's something going on in the, in the intimacy with Christ. Um, because there's just not the reproduction of, of the gospel that we need to have. Or there's not an excitement about our Savior. We're not passionate about what's happened in our life, and we're not about to go share it with someone else. We're more scared of them than we are of the judgment of God. I mean, something is totally messed up, and it starts. Judgment begins with the house of God. If the gospel's not getting out, it's not because we don't have enough evangelists. At Heartland, we have over almost 200 evangelists. I mean, that's a lot of evangelists. Well, you may not all. Well, I don't have the office of, I'm not have the gift of evangelism. I know we don't all have the gift of evangelism, but we're all charged to go out and preach the gospel. How do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. I've got to be quick. Uh, it says Mark 16, 15. You got the verses so you can get there with me. It says here, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I mean, if your neighbor won't hear it, tell his dog. And if the dog won't hear it, tell the cat. Even though that cat probably deserves to go to hell. So, you know, just tell every creature. Tell every creature. Give them the gospel and let them go to hell. But give them the gospel. Right? Because God says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You can't make a disciple if they don't get saved. Right? You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't raise a baby if you don't have one. Right? So, so I grew up in an atmosphere. It was, it was like, you know, we're beating our head against the wall. We're going out and we're, we're, we're just knocking on doors and, and nothing's happening. And you know what? And one day I got together with a bunch of people and we started just teaching the Bible and God brought revival. And praise God, that's true. But sometimes I think we get to the point where it's like, hey, we get together and we teach ourselves the Bible and we teach ourselves the Bible and we forget to go out and knock on a door. We're not making a baby. Go out and lead someone to Christ. It's no good to just sit and teach each other the Bible if people are dying and going to hell all around us. We're here to preach the gospel. There's got to be a balance, is my point. Good discipleship should be good evangelism. So if our discipleship isn't making us evangelists, something's wrong. Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Wait a minute, Brian. I thought you said, well, wait. I thought Jesus said, all power is given to me. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. I thought he said, stay here in Acts chapter 2 until the Holy, or in Acts 1.8, you stay here until the Holy Ghost comes and the power of God will come upon you. I thought the Holy... There's a contradiction in your Bible. Because the Holy Ghost is the power of God. That's where we get our power. Is that not true? Well, that's absolutely true. But, but Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Right? People don't get the Spirit of God until they hear the gospel. And the people who deliver the gospel are the people that are indwelling with the Spirit. The power of the gospel is what we give to lost people. They don't need to know all seven dispensations. They don't need to know uh, all about the surety of the Word of God in the King James English. They don't need to know the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. What they need to know is that Jesus Christ is alive from the dead, and they need to trust Him as Lord and Savior. 
That's the good news. He died on the cross for their sins. He's alive right now. And it's as real as we're standing here. And the people that ought to be motivated are the people that know him and have the power in him. Because lost people don't have the Spirit of God. All they have, by God's grace, is the Holy Ghost convicting them of sin. It's not that the Spirit of God isn't working in them. It's not that the Spirit of God isn't convicting them of sin. It's oftentimes that this Christian that's endued with power from on high, who has Christ in them, who is charged to build up the body of Christ, isn't going out and presenting the good news, which is the power of God unto salvation. So that Holy Ghost is convicting them, can indwell them. Because the Spirit of God's convicting lost people. No doubt about it. You can see it in the culture, man. I mean, Kanye comes out, oh, yay, whatever his name is now, and he's all, I mean, I don't know if he's saved. I'm kind of like, I don't know, but he's certainly serious about trying to follow Jesus, whatever he's doing. He's a little confused, but, man, I tell you what, he can't do nothing right. If he came out for Allah, they'd be all good. I mean, if he came out for anything other than Jesus Christ, they'd be off of him. He'd still have all his contracts. You know, but, man... You go all in for Jesus and look out. It's the power of God. The world knows it. Anyway, i got to stop there because I'm out of time. So we'll pick this up next week right there on point B. I hope this, I hope this is, is going somewhere with you. I know a lot of this is like, yeah, I know that. I know that. You know, some of the best stuff that we know is stuff we need to really think about a little deeper. And so as we go through this, I pray that, that uh, I, this is an amen choir. I know. But let's pray for the people that we need to witness to. Let's pray for the people that we know uh, that don't know. The people who need the church, that need the lifeline, that need to be born again, that need an environment, a supernatural greenhouse where they can grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's endeavor, as we go through this study, let's endeavor to be the people that we need to be measured up to. I'm starting with me as the pastor. I mean, God has a, I have a, a very important role. It's, it's scary, you know. But God says, you know what, this is what you've got to do. You've got to take everything that I've given and you've got to get it into other people and you've got to grow them up in a way where they can reproduce it in others. That is your job. And it has been your job for 20 years. And I'm going to give account of the judgment seat of Christ for how we're doing with that. But not only me, so will you. What you're building upon, gold, silver, precious stones. The time you spend in this building is just a building. The building's going to burn. But what are you doing with the people? I know a lot of you are doing a lot. And so, praise God, you get the judgment seat of Christ. I know, I know, because I, I, I see it, I hear it, I experience it. Man, this church is edifying one another in love. So, praise God for that. And let's keep doing that. And let's keep, let's keep, let's keep doing what we're supposed to be doing until Jesus comes. But you know what? There's still areas of, in growth, isn't there? Right? We can all continue to be compacted and continue to be measured and stretched and grow and supply the needs of others. And that starts with the gospel of the lost and, the, and then transferring life to the saved. The maturity that we have needs to be given to others. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. and pray a 